0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: How did West Virginia become a national leader in COVID vaccinations? That story next on Locked On Pharmacy.
2: You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy.
1: Hello, this is Frank Fortin from the American Pharmacists Association. When the first COVID vaccines were released in December, many states signed on to the federal government's plan to vaccinate residents of long-term care facilities using two national pharmacy chains. But West Virginia did it differently. It did agree to vaccinate those populations first, but instead of working with the chains, West Virginia utilized local independent pharmacies, which then administered the vaccines to the residents. The result was that West Virginia grabbed the early lead in vaccination rates nationwide. It was the first to complete vaccinating all of its long-term care residents. A surprise, well maybe, but not if you know the people involved. I recently spoke with two pharmacists who worked on the project. Krista Capehart helped to coordinate the effort. She is the Director of Professional Regulatory Affairs for the State Board of Pharmacy and an Associate Professor of Pharmacy at the University of West Virginia. Recently, she was honored with the designation of APHA fellow. She spoke to me from the Interagency Command Center in Charleston, West Virginia. I also spoke with Gretchen Garofoli, a pharmacist in Morgantown, West Virginia. She was one of the army of pharmacists who administered the vaccines. She is also the leader of APHA's special interest group, Immunizing Pharmacists. Krista Capehart, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks so much. Glad to be here.
1: Krista, uh, West Virginia uh, distinguished itself fairly early on by going a different way with phase 1A of the vaccinations. Uh, you were in the middle of it. Talk to me about how this conversation started among uh, uh, your colleagues and the people you work with in West Virginia and why you thought that was a better way to go for your state.
2: Certainly. Well, the governor stood up a joint interagency task force for a COVID vaccine distribution. And it has representation on it from essentially all of our key partners and agencies. So pharmacy, hospitals, local health departments, and we're all right in the same room, making all those decisions and, and talking about it. And we realized early on that we had to focus yes on our local health department, oh, excuse me, on our long-term care facilities and on our um, frontline healthcare workers because with our long long-term care facility residents, they made up about 7% of our cases, but they were over 70% of our deaths. Hmm. So we knew that that had to be a key focus area of our population to tackle first. And as we looked at the Federal Pharmacy Partnership, while we certainly have those pharmacies in our state, about 45% of our pharmacies are independents and 55% are chains. And so we needed to make sure that our rural areas could be accessed and accessed successfully um, and quickly to tackle that. So we needed a program that was going to work and work efficiently. And our governor set a timeline of he wanted all of our 214 facilities completed within the first 15 days of when vaccine was on the ground. And if you looked at the Federal Pharmacy Partnership, It wasn't activate. I mean, from the day you activate it, it didn't start until 14 days after you activate it. So we knew right there that that was not going to be an effective way for us to go. So we needed to look at other strategies.
1: Talk me through the uh, high level what the strategy was.
2: Sure. So um, as we looked at what our options were, we had actually um, started planning like most other states back in August with how we were going to do our vaccine distribution with everything from communications to what we're, gonna, what were we going to do with vaccine once it was on the ground. And so we actually started enrolling pharmacy providers back in November. So we knew we had a significant number of our vaccine providers already enrolled um, in the state. And so we looked at what could we do with those that we had enrolled in terms of matching them with long-term care facilities. And so we reached out and said, you know what, we'd really like to open it up to all pharmacies to partner with our long-term care facilities. And that's really um, where we reached our, our strategy that rather than keeping it as a um, as a specific closed network, if you will, that we would open it up to um, all of our pharmacies that wanted to participate.
1: So you went out um, right right before Christmas, I, I, I would assume.
2: Actually, even sooner than that. We had, by the time um, the, the drugs received, the Pfizer vaccine received um, uh, emergency authorization, we had drug here on the ground on Monday. We already had all of our pharmacies and long-term care facilities matched up. And so we received vaccine here on a Monday in the state of West Virginia. And I had pharmacists and pharmacies and long-term care facilities on Tuesday vaccinated. And so from Tuesday uh, from Monday, when the drug was on the ground, we completed all 214 facilities in 15 days.
1: That's amazing. Tell me about uh, the patient's reactions when you were going into those facilities with your supplies and what did you, what did you encounter when you arrived and, we're going through the um, actual procedures.
2: You know, those those were um, those were incredible um, and really just elation. Um, we many of our facilities are the pharmacies that are servicing these um, long term care facilities anyway. Most of these patients had not seen anyone outside of their caregivers in close to a year. Um, We locked down our facilities very early on. We were also the first state to begin uh, weekly testing of all residents and um, staff of all nursing home residents and staff. Um, We started that, gosh, back very, gosh, probably May, I believe, May or June. Um, We were the very first state to do that um, because we knew it had to start. And so these patients, um, they saw it really as, as a saving grace. Um, and i know some of the residents would come out and play piano all day long for for the vaccinators they made welcome signs um, they were just so incredibly happy to see these pharmacies come into their facilities uh, that it was um, it was just a real sign of hope and not only for the residents and the staff but i think for the pharmacists as well you know because pharmacies, Pharmacies didn't get a close either. Um, one of the few, few healthcare providers, in addition to our acute care settings, you know, they've been working day in and day out. And so I think to have, to be able to experience that with the patients and see that joy and and many, many tears, because it was the thought that, you know, I might get a hug my grandchild or my great grandchild for the first time in a really long time. So lots of hope and joy. Um definitely as, as those pharmacists came through the doors.
1: Did you run into any uh, vaccine hesitancy and during your rounds uh, or your uh, teammates run into it?
2: You know, sure, um, absolutely. Um, we definitely did see that. I will tell you that with, because of our program, um, we had started uh, and I mentioned communications early in, we started with a communications team early in August And our communications team did do quite a bit of research around um, some of the different words that are often associated. So one of the things, um, even with our large communications or our large vaccination teams, we are not using the word mass clinics here. We're actually using um, large community events because community is associated with a much more positive rather than mass, which is associated with mass chaos and much negativity. So we're very purposeful in the communication that we use. Um, But we did see, because we were sending um, pharmacies that these uh, long-term care facilities were familiar with, we actually, our numbers are starting to come back and we're seeing higher than national averages of both residents and um, staff that have um, have decided to receive the vaccine which is exciting for us and then even on the secondary visit that they went in um, staff who were unwilling to take it the first time they said you know what we'll take it this time so we saw much greater uptake um, after um, those communications happened and they were were talking with residents and and the pharmacists on site so that was very exciting
1: so your one of those takeaways is communication education actually works
2: definitely. And the words you use are so vitally important, especially with different different population groups.
1: So Krista, the uh, campaign, the national campaign is about ready to enter into a new phase uh, literally and figuratively. Um, what based on what you've learned over the last two months, what would you say to, others who are just starting out in this and vaccinating their own community, what lessons did you learn or what guidance would you give them as they start on their in their journey?
2: Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, you have to recognize that um, oftentimes the, the community, actually all the time, the community itself knows um, itself the best. So you can work, um, you know, we work here from a, a state approach to set some structure um, and organize things. But we also want to want our communities to maintain um, that uh, autonomy within the state structure. And so it's been very important as we've gone from our uh, individual community pharmacies to now we have 55 counties in West Virginia and we're doing 55, um, organized events in these community large-scale clinics and there's within each county there is a different organizational structure so sometimes it's a pharmacy that leads those large events sometimes it's the local health department sometimes it's the federally qualified healthcare center. So whatever that structure is, we're really using a whole of community approach um, for those large scale events. And so I think it's really important, even no matter what scale you're working on to recognize that that community knows itself the best and provide the support they need and the technology and those kinds of things, but recognizing that so much comes from the community um, and then also being nimble and you can't have everything perfect from the get-go, um, you have to be willing to pivot as as challenges come up. And I think having this structure that we have with the joint interagency task force where everybody truly we're not trying to do this virtually. everybody is in the room. so as issues come up, we're working we're working them out as they're happening. Um, those, I think, have really led us to um, to be as successful as we have been.
1: Let's turn now to Gretchen Garofoli. Welcome to the program, Gretchen.
0: Thank you. Great to be here today.
1: Well, I want to, you've been quite the media star <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, um, and West Virginia has been in a very favorable spotlight, of course, over the last month or so. Um, from your perspective, how did this all start? How did you hear about it? How did you get involved? What were the first days and weeks of putting this together like?
0: Right, so it's been an amazing experience from the beginning. One of our faculty members at the School of Pharmacy, Dr. Krista part who's um, an American Pharmacists Association member as well, she also is shared faculty with the West Virginia Board of Pharmacy, so she's really been the instrumental person at the state level who has worked on the vaccine distribution, and we are all members of the same team, so she really reached out to all of us that are very in favor of vaccination efforts and very well versed in that. And we have really utilized the team approach. So starting on December 12th and 13th, whenever we got the first emergency use authorization for the first uh, COVID-19 vaccine, That is when um, my role started. Now, everybody else had been planning for months um, to get everything in place to get us to that point. But we really started at that point to go through some educational sessions to be prepared to administer the vaccines. So on December 15th, which was a Tuesday, when that vaccine hit our pharmacy at noon, we were then equipped and ready and able to go out and start immunizing at the nursing home within two hours of getting the vaccine in hand. The model that we followed was we had three clinics set up from the beginning at each long-term care facility. So we went in for the first clinic, we did first doses. During that second clinic, we did first doses for people that had changed their minds and decided that they wanted to be vaccinated as well as second doses, for all of those that had been vaccinated at the first clinic. And then the third clinic has been to catch any of the stragglers and finish up vaccinations for those that um, got their first dose at that second clinic. So the we have since moved into the maintenance phase now for the long-term care facilities. And that is starting next week where anybody that is a new resident of one of the facilities, or if a new staff member has started, They are now eligible to request vaccinations, and we will go in and vaccinate those folks as well.
1: So when you went into the nursing homes with uh, the setup for your clinics, what were the patients' reactions?
0: The patients were very excited, and we were very well received. I said I've never had people want to give me so many hugs and obviously trying to appreciate social distancing and everything. We couldn't do that. But we've had so many people that were so thankful. Some had pure joy in their eyes. Um, Even with masks on, you could tell how happy everybody really was. So people were extremely appreciative. Um, We had rounds of applause when we walked into places. And so that's not something that I've ever seen with vaccination efforts. And I've been involved with them for about 12 years. So it's been really a surreal experience having so many people be so excited to see us whenever we go into their facilities to administer the vaccinations.
1: Did you run into any uh, vaccine hesitancy in any of your visits or any of the sites you were going to?
0: So that's a great question. And we actually did encounter some vaccine hesitancy, more so with the staff at the facilities than with the residents. So at most of the facilities that we went into, we had maybe one or two folks that decided not to get vaccinated. Whereas with the staff, we had much higher percentages that decided not to get vaccinated. However, I do consider it a win with the educational efforts and with their confidence in the vaccine, because when we went to those second and third clinics that I spoke of, we had more people that wanted to get vaccinated. And so that's really been exciting for me. I actually had one of the nurse managers who works for one of the systems that we vaccinated. She called me on my cell phone late one night and she said, Gretchen, I know you're coming to do a clinic tomorrow and I know it's only supposed to be for second doses. But I've convinced 12 people to get vaccinated through um, talking about the importance of COVID-19 vaccines. And so we we figured it out. We had some doses that were left over. We had a whole unopened vial, and so we took that to the clinic, and we got those folks vaccinated. So it was really exciting for me to have somebody that felt so strongly about educating her staff and wanting to get them vaccinated.
1: When you ran into people who were hesitant or uncertain about whether to get the vaccine, what were they telling you? Did they give you a reason or was it just, I'm not interested at this time, no thank you?
0: So I think some of them, it has just been too new and they wanted to see how other people reacted first. That was the reason most often cited at those first clinics that we went to. Now with the younger population, so specifically with the females, they are worried about the rumors they heard regarding infertility and the vaccines causing infertility. So really trying to dispel any myths that have been out there. And we have talked to the facilities about the potential for in the future going in and providing even more educational interventions to um, dispel any other myths that the people might have. One of my colleagues actually took um, one person that had concerns into a private room and talked to her about it, and that person ended up getting vaccinated. And how that went down, this, this patient came in and she was like, Can I see what the syringe looks like? Can I see what the vaccine looks like? And so she was asking some basic questions and we then opened the door and asked if she had any additional questions that we could answer. And my colleague then said, let's go talk somewhere private and took her and she ended up getting vaccinated. So that was fantastic. We had some other people that decided to get vaccinated. And after they got vaccinated, they told me, well, this person takes care of so-and-so's grandparents and it's a former students of mine, um, her grandparents. And so I said, well, my student who is a fellow pharmacist and her brother who is also a pharmacist would be very proud of you for getting vaccinated to help protect her grandparents. So those are things that um, I really think that by us going in multiple times and building that relationship, we've really been able to answer those questions and get more people vaccinated.
1: If a pharmacist from another state were to call you and ask you for some tips, what would you tell them?
0: So Frank, that has happened. I've gotten calls from <laughs> pharmacists from other states that have asked what we've done. And so I just talked to them about how to get involved at the state level, how to make those connections. And West Virginia is a very small state. We're a very rural state. What we have done that has worked well might not work for bigger states or more populated states, but it's worked well for us. We we being small, have really we've built those relationships with each other. Um, through the course of our careers. So I know pharmacists from all over the state as well as other healthcare practitioners and I'm able to connect with them to be able to talk about vaccinations, to be able to move forth with these efforts. I'm working with a colleague in medicine and we are developing teams of students that are from multiple disciplines to get them out into all 55 counties in West Virginia and to assist with the vaccination efforts. So I think it really does take the all hands on deck approach and other states should not be afraid to ask for help. They should just know that what we are doing is for the best interest of our patients and we all need to work together for the ultimate goal of getting those doses into arms in a safe, effective, and efficient manner.
1: And lastly, I want to ask what it's been like for you um, to go through this, uh, um, as I said, two months into it, and this must have been, this is, must have been quite the experience.
0: Yes, it's been a wonderful and amazing experience. I, um, right before the vaccination effort started, my sister-in-law actually posted a photo on social media of her grandfather who was involved with the polio vaccination efforts in um, Pennsylvania. And he went, was a physician with the University of Pittsburgh. And so she had posted that picture. And then days later, she said on the same post, my my daughters are gonna look up to their aunt who's out there doing the same thing for the COVID-19 vaccination effort. And so that was not something I anticipated or expected. And it's just been amazing. It's been amazing getting to talk to so many folks, getting the recognition that what we're doing is really making a difference and having a huge impact. and. Working with my team, I couldn't ask for a better group of folks to work with. If I have some needs for vaccinators or if I need some preceptors, they are all more than willing to step up and help out with the efforts.
1: And I assume you've gotten both doses.
0: Yes, I have. (laughs) Very good. And that's a great question because at the first clinic that I vaccinated at, towards the end of the day, one of the uh, nursing staff members asked, well, have you gotten the vaccine? and i said well no we we have vaccines here for you these doses are allotted for you we want to ensure that the staff members at the nursing home as well as the residents are vaccinated first if there are any left over i will absolutely get vaccinated but you all need to be vaccinated first and she looked at me and she said, Well, that's very selfless of you. And I said, Well, we've gotten into healthcare to help other people. I am not looking out for myself. I really want to ensure that you all are protected and then we'll worry about getting all of us vaccinated.
1: Krista, I want to ask you, what's it been like for you personally?
2: Um, it's really been incredible. Uh I there's a lot of a lot of people that know me know that I serve many different roles in the state of West Virginia. I teach at WVU. My practice side is actually at the Board of Pharmacy. So I have a large role in regulation and public health and those kinds of things. Um, And so I've always, or for the last several years, been very involved in public health here. But I think one of the different things is that a lot of places don't have a a pharmacist or pharmacies that are involved in public health and kind of at the table as significantly. But yeah, as I look back, I don't think that I ever really imagined that, you know, we'd be in the middle of multiple, you know, Pentagon-style briefings every day and, you know, planning this type of a scale of, of a project and working with pharmacists everywhere um, and public health everywhere. I definitely did not ever imagine it, but it has been a tremendously rewarding experience and the results have, have just been um just amazing so yeah it's uh, don't even have words for to describe uh, how it's been
1: thank you krista capehart and thank you gretchen garofoli and that's it for this edition of lockdown pharmacy this is frank fortin for the american pharmacist association thank you for listening
2: this podcast has been brought to you by the american pharmacist association the largest professional association of pharmacists in the united states